Welcome, welcome again to another rendition of WTF Interviews. My name is Sir Royce Brialis, and I'm with my prestigious co-host, Dr. Raheem Young. How's it going, my brother? I'm doing well, man. How, how you doing over there? Ah, no complaints over here, man. All is well. I'm also pleased to announce we have a special guest, uh, Reginald Gant. How's it going, my brother? All is well, man. Excited to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, for sure. So uh, tell people a little bit more about yourself. Uh, what do you do for a living or for a purpose? And also, uh, how many kids you got and what are their ages? Absolutely. Uh, what do I do for a living and for a purpose for a living? I actually, uh, human resources specialist for the federal government, 18 and a half years, almost 19, actually just, just fired Uncle Sam. You know, I just gave Uncle Sam the pink slip. Decided to walk away from all of that and go into business with my wife full time. So my purpose now is actually going to be to fulfill my mission for my organization that I started Serve for Men, where we equip men, fathers, and husbands to lead, protect, provide, and serve. But we do that God's way. So that's my purpose. Husband and father of five, ages 21, 10, 5, 3, and 1. So Reginald, can you talk about your uh, your upbringing and like how was your relationship with your father and your parents? Yeah, great question. So my parents were married uh, when I was born, but they did divorce uh, early on. So I probably want to say somewhere between the ages of two and four. I can't remember offhand. So primarily, uh, I'm from the Baltimore, Maryland area. I was born here in Baltimore, still here. Uh, I was raised in a single parent household with my mom. So my dad did the every other weekend thing. So growing up, I kind of remember experiences where, you know, I was excited to see dad and he would come and pick me up. I would spend the weekend with him. Everything would be great. But then I also have those experiences when dad was supposed to come and pick me up. I would be standing by the door waiting. Dad wouldn't show for whatever reason, you know, ended up crying whole weekend ended up being ruined. Mom would have to kind of put the pieces back together. Um, so that happened for, you know, quite some time. And then I remember as I got a little older into my 20s, began to have some conversation with my dad. I actually became a dad myself at the age of 19. You know, we'll talk about that probably in a minute. Um, and I actually learned some things from my dad that I, I wish that I had known earlier in life because uh, our relationship had been impacted, you know, because of what I had been told, because of what I perceived to be true, you know, uh, various factors. Fast forward to, to present, my dad is my guy. He's, 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 he, uh, I'm proud, I'm a junior, by the way, I'm Reginald Gann Jr. I'm proud to carry the last name. I'm proud to carry the torch forward. My dad has taught me a lot about, you know, patience, a lot about being financially smart, a lot about what it's, what it's like to be a good husband and dad and to protect and to provide. So, um, yeah, he's, he's everything to me now, you know, and I, I wish that I would have gotten a lot of those years back earlier on that I missed out on. But, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. God does all things, you know, according to his purpose. Um, I put the past behind us. And, you know, one of the things that I impress upon us later on as we talk is for us as men is the importance of forgiveness. You know, it doesn't really matter where a person starts. It doesn't matter how something begins, you know. What is 
look like. You know, one of the things that drives me is begin with the end in mind. So now that my dad and I have an amazing relationship, I don't really care about the first part of life is over. I can't do anything about it. I can work on the relationship that him and I have now. If I was to call my dad right now, he's there. That's all that matters to me. Um, still close to my mom. And yeah, that's where we are. So it was a, you know, unusual. Uh, probably These days, honestly, it probably is, is actually, it's not uncommon for a lot of us as men to be brought up in a single parent household raised by mom, you know? And then you might see dad, you might not see dad, you might know dad, you might not know dad. I, I feel like our generation needs to begin to right some of those wrongs, you know? And I, I feel like forums like this are a place where we can use our voices, you know what I mean? To speak to fathers directly to say, hey, you know what? Even if that was your lot growing up, like you have the ability to change. You are mandated, you are obligated to change. You know, if you know what it's like to have some fatherhood hurt, and a lot of us do, you are not obligated to pass that on. You are obligated to cut that off right here where it is and change that narrative. Okay. Uh, how long did it take for you to mend that relationship with your dad? Did it uh, take a, a period of years or was it pretty much? Uh, no, so it was amazing. So um, it was about, I was in my mid twenties and uh, you know, I had a conversation with my dad. I think we kind of went out. Uh, it was some things that have just been brewing inside of me, you know, and you can't say too much to your dad when you're a teenager, you know, but when you're in your twenties, you think you're a man, you know, I'm assuming all three of us are past the age of 20 to 29. Right. So, you know, you think you're a whole man when you're in your twenties. So I was about mid twenties. My dad and I, we were out and um, it was that day that I decided to share with him, you know, how I felt. Because I remember there were points in my life where I, I literally convinced myself that, you know, if my dad were to die today or tomorrow, that I wouldn't care. And I don't love him because that's how hurt I was. That's how bitter and that's how broken I was on the inside. I literally convinced myself that, you know, my life is better off without him. That's a lie, first of all. And for any man who's going through that right now, that's a lie, right? You shut that thought down immediately. Your life is better because of your father, you know, and you work towards severing that relationship. But anyway, about mid-20s, my dad and I, we met up. I believe it was at a restaurant, you know, we wanted to eat. Um, and I started sharing with him, you know, like how I felt growing up. Uh, I started pouring out, you know, and uh, then I got passionate about it, you know, and some four or five letter words came out, you know. Um, and my dad is a patient man, you know, and, which is crazy because he actually, you know, used to work for the Department of Corrections. So, you know, in, in that environment, you know, it's just you're not patient, right? You have to react, you have to respond, right? Because your life is always on the line at any given point in time. But towards me in that conversation, he was extremely patient, you know, I'm, I'm cussing, I'm fussing, I'm crying. And uh, then he began to ask me a series of questions. Because by this point, I'm already a dad. And by this point, I'm already experiencing what it's like to have baby mama drama, right? By this point, my, my daughter's mother and I, you know, we, we're young parents, right? I, I was a 19-year-old father. She was a 19-year-old mom. So, you know, Diamond is probably about five or six now. But we're still trying to figure things out. We're still, you know, you know how it is when you have children young. We're children trying to raise a child. So we're trying to figure it out. But we're already going through our drama. Then my dad began to ask me a series of questions. And one of the questions was, you know, 
what makes your mom any different than any other woman, you know, that's had a child with somebody else that's experienced differences. And, and then he took it a little deeper and he asked me some other questions and it, and it took me back because I'm like, hmm, I know what it's like to have baby mama drama. I know what it's like for my daughter to be lied to. I know what it's like to be lied on, right? And my dad is basically saying, you know, son, I, I've never said anything over the years. You know, I was kind of waiting for this conversation, but I want you to realize that everything that's said is not always the truth. Everything that you've been told may not always be accurate. There's always, you know, and I learned this from him, there's always three sides to a story, right? It's that person's side, it's your side, and then somewhere in the middle is the truth, and the truth encompasses a little bit of both sides. <laughs> and as he's sharing that, I mean, literally the tears just started rolling down my eyes because I could kind of see where he was painted in a horrible manner, as was I, who was painted in a horrible manner towards my daughter through her mother, even though there were situations and circumstances beyond my control, things that I wanted to do for my daughter that I was denied. I remember there were situations when I was on my way to get my daughter, you know, picking her up. It was my weekend and I got the phone call because she was mad. Turn around. You're not getting it this weekend. In essence, what my dad was saying is that what you've been through is no different than what I've been through. But growing up, that's not what I was told. That's not what I saw. That wasn't my experience. So it changed my life in that moment, you know, and, and, and as we were talking, the tears really just began to roll down my eyes. And, and I realized that I had to do some heavy forgiveness in that moment, right? I had to forgive my dad, you know, for how I talked to him. You know, I had to forgive my mom you know, and my mom doesn't even know to date that my dad and I had this conversation. I'm the only child, by the way, on my mom's side. I have a sister through my dad. So my mom doesn't know that my dad and I have actually had real talk and that I know some things about their marriage um, and, you know, what drove their marriage towards ending. She doesn't know that I'm aware of these things. So I decided to keep those things to myself, right, for the sake of not damaging my relationship with my mom. I'm her only child. I'm her only son. And I don't want her to know that I know things that could make me look at her in a negative light because I don't want to impact that mother-son relationship. Like, I'm everything to my mom. I'm her pride and joy. And now, you know, we have these, these grandsons and his granddaughter. I don't want to ruin that relationship. But my dad, through that conversation, opened my eyes to the fact. And, you know, and I pray that this heals another man who's listening. You never know what your father went through. It's only one way to find out, and that's really to have a candid conversation with your dad because what's told is not always what's true. And I want that to be a resounding theme as you know we carry on this conversation. To all of the men who are listening and you're broken and you're hurt and you're bitter, I need you to understand that what's told is not always true. And that's my story, you know, and I'm just so glad that I was fortunate enough to repair the relationship with my father to, to, to this day. Like I said, he's my guy. I brought my house on the next street over from my dad. Like we could walk to each other's house. When I signed 
the dotted line to buy this house, he was right there next to me, right? When I, when uh, we, we were going into labor, right, with our first son, second son, third son, Pops was the first one to the hospital, you know? When I started to need renovations on this house, because I bought a house, it was kind of old, you know? He was there. Let's me and you do it ourselves, teaching me. I'm not that handicapped. Look, I'd rather pay. You know, I'm not the, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to get down on his hands and knees and rip up a floor and, you know, put it put down a new floor. That's not me, but that's Pops. And he taught me those things, you know, and I'm so glad that I was fortunate enough to repair that relationship. And, and that's where we are today. That's interesting. That, like, well, what you just said made me think of this. Like, do you feel like God or the universe, or, you know, whatever you believe in, gave you the experience of um, having to go through certain things with your baby's mother so you can develop that full understanding with your father and develop that relationship? Absolutely. Yeah, and I totally believe in God, you know, so we can, we can definitely call him God all day long. Um, but yeah, I'll be honest, if, if I had not been a dad, if I had not gone through the experience of, you know, being loud on by my, my daughter's mother, being withheld from being able to see my child, right? All of those kinds of horrific things that come from two young kids trying to raise a child. I would not have believed my dad's version of the story. But having been experienced it myself, hearing it from him allowed me to step back and say, well, wow, you know what? If it could happen to me and I'm a good father, could it have happened to him? And he's a good father. And then my rational mind, I was like, absolutely. And one thing that I'll say about my dad is that he, he never bad off my mother. He never. It's, I can't remember one single incident where I heard my dad talk negative about my mom. I can't say the, tr the truth. I can't say that it's true in the opposite manner, right? But I can say growing up, literally, and I'm 40, I've never heard my dad say one negative thing about my mom because he told me what's done in the dark always comes to light eventually. He was like, you never have to question, you know, what's done in the dark because eventually it will come to surface. He was like, you pay attention to people's actions. You pay attention to people's character. He was like, eventually things will expose themselves and you don't even have to say anything. And in that situation, I remember some of the things that were said about my dad. I remember some of the things that were told to me about my dad directly from my mom. And then me having the experiences that I had with my daughter's mother, I was like, oh, okay, so now she's talking from a place of being hurt. She's talking from a place of being bitter. She's talking from a place of being broken. And now, mind you, they were married and they got divorced, right? So he went on to remarry, you know? So to see him go on and remarry and have a new life with somebody else and an amazing life with that, I was like, she's really talking from now a place of pain because that could have been her. And had I not had that experience, you know, being a young teenage dad, I don't think that I would have believed my dad, to be honest at all. I, I probably would have sided with mom because that's who I knew. That's who I trusted. That's who was always there. But I, I thank God for the way that it panned out. So from a 21-year-old to a one-year-old, man, that's 20 yeah, years yeah, of yeah. bad experience <laughs> right there, man. Two decades. Yeah. <laughs> So we're blended family. <laughs> yeah. What What would you say that you uh, has been the biggest lesson you've learned uh, from your kids? Great question. 
So let me just break down the, uh, the dynamic. So uh, when my wife and I got married, we were already blended. So we were a family of four already. So my oldest, the 10 year old, you know, I don't, we don't say the word stepson, stepdaughter in our family life, right? These are our kids. I have four sons and one daughter. But when we got married, you know, I brought the daughter into the equation. My wife brought the oldest son into the equation. We were automatically four. Two went straight into four. Um, so one of the things that I learned quickly uh, was that blended families have a, a whole different set of challenges than other families do, right? Because now there's some outside dynamics that you really need to consider. And me... I'm the type of person, you know, I'm not sure if you, you, you both strike me as the same. Yeah? I'm an alpha male. Like, you know, I, everything about me is alpha. It's not a weak bone in my body, right? Unless, like, my wife is trying to tickle me and get me to laugh, right? So my thought process coming into our marriage, and we got married back in 2015, was that if I'm going to be raising, you know, my son, my, my stepson, if he's going to be living in my house, right, under my roof, right? He's gonna follow my rules. I'm gonna do things my way. That was my thought back in 2015. And uh, I tried to engage his dad in some conversation and uh, emotionally he wasn't mature enough at the time to engage in those conversations with me. You know, he actually still wanted relationship with my wife. You know, he never really got over the fact that, you know, they couldn't be a family. So that had its own challenges in itself that we had to work through still to this day, actually, to be honest, you know, all these years later. Um, but I was like, he's going to be in my house under my roof. It's my rules. It's my way. And um, I actually carried it like that. Right. So as he was growing up, he was two when I first met him. Now he's, you know, he'll be 11 this year. Uh, I was in there. I was disciplined. Now, mind you, his mom didn't really care too much for me doing that. Neither did his dad, right? But his dad and I didn't really get a chance to talk about that because he wasn't ready for those kinds of conversations. So I'm a disciplinarian in my house. That's what I do. My wife is more nice. She's a little bit more lenient, right? That's what women are nurturing. I'm not nurturing. I'm going to talk to you straight. I'm going to say it once. If I say it once and you're not listening and I see that you're doing something that I just asked you not to do, I'm bringing down discipline. That's just how I operate. Well, that's how I operated back then. And I would discipline them. and it just caused all kinds of problems. So one of the things that I've learned is that it's okay to not have everything your way, you know, and as much as I'm an alpha, you know, and pretty much all of the parts of my life, I had to learn through marriage and through fatherhood that, you know, it's a partnership with my wife and how she feels matters and what she thinks matters and what she would like to see or not see matters. And I was the type of person I wasn't trying to hear that early on in the marriage. And now as we're coming up on year number seven, uh, as I'm a little older, there's something about turning 40. When I turned 40 last March, I just felt like I finally just stepped into who I was. Now I know who I am. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm going after it. I feel like the level of maturity that I'm at is like the, the highest of all times. Like I'm confident, but but coming up into this marriage, you know, these last seven years, I didn't have that maturity level. And then I would talk over my wife and I would do things that she didn't care too much for. I would say things that, you know, she didn't really care too much for me saying. And I've learned over the years that it's better to be collaborative, right, than to be domineering. And that's, if that's one thing that I can impress upon somebody who's dealing with a blended family, right, your spouse, 
how they feel, what they think, it matters. I understand you're a man. I understand that you're the head of the household. You lead, right? But for the sake of peace, for the sake of being one, right? Unity, you need to sit down and you need to have some open, honest conversations and you need to, to come on one accord and partnership, right? And not uh, domination is probably the biggest lesson that I've learned through parenting. Who, who do you feel has been like the most flexible um, as far as like the blended family goes, uh, you or your wife? Man, I feel like it's a give and take, to be honest. I mean, I would say earlier on, my wife was extremely flexible because I would do things and I would say things and she, I knew she would be livid, right? But she respected me. Uh, and she would pull me aside one-on-one -on -one and she would ring me out. You know, she wouldn't do it publicly. She wouldn't do it in front of anybody else. Um, she allowed me to grow, right? It was, and it was painful. It was challenging because I'm, I'm literally trying to figure out, like, how does this work? You know, I mean, being a husband doesn't come, you guys know, it doesn't come with a, a book. You can, I can't read a book on being the best husband and expect for me to follow that book from step one and step 10 and be perfect at it, right? It's, it's trial by fire. You know, we know. So I would say that my wife has allowed me some grace, you know, on the front end, but lately, I feel like I've been a lot more flexible. You know, I'm letting a lot more things roll on the table. I'm a lot more mature. I'm trying to be a lot more patient. I've been working on how I talk because apparently, you know, how I talk has been like a large part of some of the challenges that we've experienced in my household. It's not what I say, it's how I say it. And because I'm known to be direct, I'm blunt, you know, I, I tell my sons, you know, like when I'm talking to a man, like a man knows that I'm talking to him, right? I'm not passive, I'm not weak, I'm not looking down, right? When I go to shake a man's hand, my hand is not soft, right? And I'm trying to, you know, raise them to be, you know, a man. But what I've been working on, you know, trying to be a lot more flexible on is that, hey, you know what? These four, these four young boys are looking at you. Like, it's all eyes on you. You have the stage, the platform is yours. So through my example, I need to show them what a man looks like. Because it's one thing to say something, but if I say something and they see me doing something contradictory, then what I'm doing is just killing all of my credibility. Now what I'm trying to teach my sons is that, hey, a man is patient, you know? A man thinks, a man knows how to use his wisdom, his discernment, but I have to be it. I have to show them that I am it in order for it to sink in. So I would say my wife and I have taken turns. And I, another, look, here's another nugget. Who you marry is everything. They will either take you to places that you've never been, or they will drag you down to places that you don't want to be at, right? So who you marry, for those that are uh, dating or maybe engaged on your way to marriage, right? Who you marry is very important, and you want to make sure that you spend some time knowing that person. And the question that I ask myself, you know, during those lean moments and lean seasons, because they all come, right? Sometimes in marriage, you, you know, you're looking at your spouse like, I could knock your head off, right? But you don't. I ask myself this one question, and this one question always brings me back to reality. Would I want to live life with her or without her? And I've never once imagined living my life without my wife. So that lets me know that I want to live life with her. We need to come together. We need to figure out what's going on. We need to get on one accord. If I need to humble myself and apologize, then that's what I'll do. If she needs to humble herself and apologize, then that's what she'll do. 
But the one question that will always be there for me during any lean season, do I want to live life with her or without her? And that's what keeps us together. You just spoke about uh, your sons in regards to like how you want to lead by example, you know, shake with a firm hand, open up doors, you know, the, the things that, you know, a lot of people overlook when it comes to raising little boys. But uh, talk about your daughter, Sam. Like, uh, she's grown now. Yeah. So how, how has those conversations uh, been going? What type of advice have you been giving her? So it's interesting, right? I've never had the privilege of having my daughter under my roof, right? So I've been that, you know, I kind of coined myself the weekend warrior dad, right? And it's been painful, I'll be honest, you know? That's something that I've struggled with my entire life because I, I pride myself on being a good father. Um, but I never really got a chance to see how good of a father I could be with, with my daughter being under my roof full time. And um, so now she's 21, right? Now she has a, a boyfriend, right? Now I found out, you know, that they've, they've engaged in, you know, activities of ad adult nature. And, you know, now we're just having different kinds of conversations. And what, what I love about my daughter right now is that I can just be totally honest. You know, I've, I've shared with her the ups and downs that her and uh, that me and her mom have had. I've shared the, the good, the bad, the ugly. Because one thing that I believe in now is total transparency. I've shared some secrets. I've shared some things that, you know, she couldn't be privy to as a child because, you know, her mindset was that of a child. But now she's a young adult. My daughter's working now, right? Has a full-time job. All right, she just stopped going to school, but, you know, she may pick that back up. She may not, I'm not sure. She's trying to pursue being an actress. So now I can have conversations with her that, that I couldn't have growing up. And now I'm, I'm there for her. But what I really love about it is that her and my wife are like this. That's what I really love, right? So I can give her the man's perspective. I can give her the father's perspective. But I love the fact that her and my wife have their own separate relationship. I mean, I'm talking to Diamond right now, trying to prepare her to, to have life on her own. She lives with her mom, trying to talk to her about the importance of saving money, right? Enough so that you can eventually move out into your own apartment, you know, buy your own automobile, things of that nature. Um, talking to her, obviously, still about, you know, relationships and dating. I'm, I'm, I, I tell her candidly, you know, I'm, even though I've done it, you know, I've done it a bunch of times, I, I really don't believe in any longer, you know, sex before marriage, you know. And I say, you can call me hypocritical if you want, you know, and, and I'll be fine with that because I know that that's what I did. But I can't be an advocate of you doing it because I did it, you know was right is right and was wrong is wrong. So I, I, I share with her, you know, if you are engaging in those kinds of activities, you know, I don't approve of it, you know, but at 21, I can't, I can't control your life any longer. I'll be there for you and I'll have guidance and I'll have wisdom, you know, and I'll have insight. And if you need me, you know, I'll, I'll be there in, in those regards. But I was like, now at 21, hopefully I've, I've imparted enough in you that you know what's right, that you know what's wrong. And that, you'll make more right choices than wrong choices. Will you mess up along the way? Absolutely. You know, when you mess up, can you come and talk to dad? You know, can you come and talk to Miss Bianca? That's my wife. You know, absolutely. Will we always be there for you? Absolutely. There's nothing that you won't do or there's nothing that you can do, right? That will, that will be so horrific that we just won't ever be there for you. You know, so now um, I'm just trying to see her stand on her own two feet. So we're trying to prepare her you know, we, we have an account that we opened up for her, you know, we're trying to get her to add her own money into it. We, 
we add money to it on our end. You know, I'm, I'm trying to see her level of responsibility. Um, yeah, because I just want to see her stand on her own two feet, you know, as any dad would. And I want to know, I want to be assured that she won't be dependent upon anybody else, especially another man, right? At, at 21, I don't want you to feel like your boyfriend has to take care of you. Like, if he has the money and he's flashing the money, I don't want you to feel like you are like subservient to him, you know, like I want you to be able to have your own. So these are the kind of conversations that, you know, her and I have. And then her and my wife have a different set of conversations because my wife can now school her on what it's like to be 21 and a female and sought after and dating in the whole nine yards and what to do, you know, when men approach you and not to fall for all of the sweet talk. My wife is now schooling her in that area, you know, conversations that I'm not privy to. And I appreciate that. So I know for me, I have a 16 year old daughter and um, mm-hmm. it's just seemed like the, the, the younger guys now, like the values and just like they focus a little bit different. Man. Yeah. So have you met your daughter's boyfriend? And like, what was that conversation yeah. about? So I'm going to tell you, it was, it was <laughs> for, for the first time, the fact that she was nervous to actually introduce me to somebody and let me know that this person was somebody that she was serious about. And brothers, I'll say this. When I met the guy, you know, I wanted to not like him, you know, because that's my baby girl. But I'm, not, I'm just going to be flat out honest. She, she hit it out the park, you know. With this young guy, she hit it out the park. I mean, I, I, could, I, I couldn't have chose a better selection for her. Uh, I think that they put their relationship on pause for now, you know, which I actually don't mind either. Because, you know, they're both still growing and developing. But the mere fact that she brought somebody who was educated, who was articulate, who was hungry, who was a go-getter, who was respectful, right? I mean, and the guy was handsome. Handsome guy, stylish, the whole nine yards. I, I poured her aside. I was like, Diamond, I was like, I, I can't even be mad at you. I was like, I, I like old boy. You know, I, I, I want to be able to pull my guns out on him. You know what I mean? Give him the, the Will Smith, Martin, you know, treatment at the door. But I was like, I can't. Like, this guy is solid, you know? And, and I appreciate that because she knew that it was important for her to bring somebody into my space that was the real deal. I was like, I don't want to meet all of these jokers, you know, that you, you know, and I understand you you, you might want to date. And I, I encourage dating. Don't get me wrong. I encourage young people to date, to figure out what you like, what you don't like, what you want, what you don't want. But when she brought this young guy to me, no. When she brought this young guy to me, I, I was I was impressed. I follow him on social media. He's done some work for my wife and I. Yeah, I, right, Dr. Young, she hit it right on the head. Yeah, they say normally uh, the, the daughters find someone that's similar to their dad. So in a lot of ways, uh, he might have a lot of similarities to you. He does, he yeah. does. And when I look at him, I mean, I, I, honestly, he's ahead of the curve. Because for his age, I mean, he's entrepreneurial already in mindset. He's already going after his dreams. You know, the young guy, he, he's flying to Cali. He's in Atlanta. He's in North Carolina. He, he knows what he wants. He's, he wants to do marketing and branding, right? He wants to do um, some things with sports. And he's actively involved and engaged in pursuing each and every one of those endeavors. Like, day in and day out, I see the work ethic. And... Um, now what I really want more the conversations that my wife and I have is, you know, he knows what he wants, but, you know, Diamond, 
are you going after what you want you know and that's what we're that's what we're tasked with working with right now you know i i like him you know i love that I, I have no doubt that he's going to be successful but i need my daughter to know what she wants to do in life and i want her to begin to pursue that so we're having some conversations you know mainly her and my wife because my wife is pulling out her career coaching hat you know and uh, her life coach hat to, to figure out, you know, Diamond wants to pursue being in actions, right? But she works for the postal office. You know, she's putting in 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you know, and that, and that downtime, she still wants to be, you know, young, still wants to hang out with her friends and party. So if you say that you want something, when are you actually going after it, right? And, and I share one of my biggest fears with her is that you're going to look back over your life and you're going to be 40 one day and you're going to be like, why am I here and not here? And at 21, you're still in the game. You still have time to go after what it is that you want. You still can put in the work. And we're just trying to get her to understand what exactly that really is for her. She's trying to figure that out right now. I didn't know at 21, to be honest. I'm not sure if you guys did it either. But we're trying to walk her down the path where, look, make a decision. And then let's lock in and let's go after it. Whatever that looks like, you know, we'll support you. But her boyfriend, ex-boyfriend, whatever it is, friend, whatever they call themselves now, he's he in the zone. And I, I admire that about him. And I, I admire that she brought home him, you know, for her first introduction, you know, to what she sees as a man. I, I think she did well. So look, Dr. Young, I pray the same for you when you get there in a couple <laughs> of years. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. I appreciate that. So um, I wanted to ask you about uh, about Baltimore. I know you yeah. so you're born and raised in Baltimore, and um, it's similar to kind of Chicago, the way that I look at it. Like Chicago get a, get a negative rap. When I think about Baltimore, I think about like uh, the Ravens mm -hmm. uh, and the Wire. <laughs> Absolutely. So Absolutely. can you can you speak on like growing up in Baltimore, like the culture and Absolutely. Uh, some of the things that it, it instilled in you being from there? Fantastic question. And I'm so glad that you asked. Uh, it's so crazy because my wife and I, we're Baltimore natives, right? We are homegrown. I do bleed black and purple, by the way. Lamar Jackson is still the real deal, even though, you know, our season didn't end out the way that it should have. Um, and the why is definitely true, right? But the why is not all of Baltimore. And Baltimore is called Charm City. Right. If you don't know, that's one of the nicknames for Baltimore. It, it really is. I was just talking to somebody yesterday because um, my wife and I do a lot of work with uh, organizations in and across Baltimore that are fighting against you know, racial inequities, right? social impact. We're working with a lot of organizations that are active and engaged in putting black and brown people to work, specifically here in Baltimore, putting our people who live here in our city you know, who are quote unquote underserved, underrepresented, undereducated, under whatever. We are part of organizations that put these people to work. And uh, Baltimore does have its dark side, just like any other city. Um, but it's an amazing city, it's beautiful. There are pockets in Baltimore that are absolutely amazing. And there are pockets in Baltimore that I myself at the age of 40 wouldn't be found at, at night. You know, that's just the reality of the matter. Um, but what I can say about Baltimore is that it's, it's, it's eclectic, right? It's, it's beautiful. And you have, I mean, it's just a, a, a beautiful mix of all cultures. And I feel like it doesn't get the due that it deserves on a national level. 
uh, I often get that same question, Dr. Young, and in conversations with other people. Um, they think about The Wire. They think about Freddie Gray, right? They think about, uh, you know, if, if you're a seafood lover, they know that we have seafood here. We have the, the Inner Harbor. Um, but it's more to Baltimore than just that. I actually grew up in Baltimore City, right? And statistically, in the zip code in which I was raised, it was the most dangerous zip code in, in all of Maryland. Um, but I didn't really see that because of where we live. You know, you throw a whole bunch of zip codes together, right? So you might fall under a zip code that has uh, a good neighborhood, but a couple of blocks over, you know, about 15, 20 minutes down the street, it's a whole nother way of living over there. Baltimore has a lot of that. Um, statistically, I wasn't even supposed to make it right out of that zip code. I wasn't supposed to see high school. I wasn't supposed to graduate college. I wasn't supposed to make it till 21. But Baltimore has a lot of opportunity, right, to paint itself nationally on a national scale to be a, a city that's beautiful and amazing inside and out. There's a lot of businesses that are coming and planting their feet in Baltimore because it's a it's a tech zone, right? It's a hub zone for those that are in IT. We have a whole arts district where our arts and our creatives, they hang out and they flourish. You know, these are things that you don't see on Baltimore. Baltimore has its own culture and its own language. You know, I mean, the, so I say hot dog, right? D-U, it's D-U-G the way that I pronounce it, right? Other people say hot dog, right? D-O-G, right? I say water. I say Baltimore, right? Baltimore. People call it Baltimore, right? We have our own way and culture, but I'm Baltimore through and through. It's amazing. It's been beautiful to my family and I. Um, just like any other urban city, right? It has its challenges. It's no different than Detroit, Chicago, Atlanta, right? LA, Compton, right? You go up, go up what to New York, go down south to what Houston, right? Miami has its beautiful parts, has its not so beautiful parts. But all in all, I love it. It's treated me well 40 years. My parents were born here, right? That's where they met. That's where I met my daughter's mother. That's where my daughter was created. That's where our sons were created. So Baltimore's been amazing to us. Um, but I, I look forward to the day when Baltimore is, is seen as more than just, you know, the negative that's portrayed on the media from time to time, especially during, you know, situations that are not so uh, pleasing to the eye, right? Freddie Gray, I, I, was, I was around. I remember, you know, I know that side of town. I, I drive through that side of town often. And uh, and it it pains me whenever those situations happen in any of our cities. But it pained me more so than anything else because it happened here. And I saw on TV, because I wasn't there physically, and you wasn't going to catch me nowhere near that. I saw on TV my brothers and sisters who look like us burning and looting our neighborhoods because they were angry. And it just always upsets me because I understand that there's an injustice that occurred, right? We need justice to prevail. I get that. I get anger. But what I never get, what I never understand is the benefit of tearing down our neighborhoods, right? Because you're angry. And what I learned from uh, some of my brothers who were actually down there in the mix of it, is that there are people that come from out of town, right? Specifically to be a part of the crowd to incite these kinds of things to happen so that it can draw more negative media attention. Like my, some of my homeboys told me that they were literally like dudes from Philly and New York and 
other spots that literally came that were causing folks to get more upset to go out and burn more buildings, throw bricks through more car windows, destroy more property. And they kind of had to shoot those dudes from out of here because they were like, this is our home. Like when you go back home to your city, to your state, you're not gonna have to deal with all of this damage and repair. And that's when, you know, it, it opened up my mindset that if that happened here in Baltimore, more than likely that's probably happening everywhere, you know? But all in all, what, what can I say about Baltimore? I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm Baltimore through and through. I will always see the good in Baltimore. Does it have challenges? Absolutely. Is it working towards those challenges? Absolutely. I can see the work. My wife and I are part of an amazing organization right now that's literally about to put 10,000 black and brown people to work. I love it. I love it, right? Baltimore is where it's happening. And, and I just want to see it painted on a more positive light. And I feel that in the years to come, it will be. That's such a fantastic question. Thank you for that, Dr. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities in Chicago as far mm -hmm. as uh, I call it. A, uh, I put on my invisible war jacket when I go out of town. And when I say I'm from Chicago, people say, oh, man, you must have really seen some things. Like, no, nah, it's, it's beautiful in Chicago. Yeah. It's beautiful in Baltimore. It's just, uh, Absolutely. like you said, paint, paint a picture that really isn't the full picture. Yeah. And that, yeah. that part should change for sure. Now, um, <clears throat> Going back to your fatherhood experience, so uh, with the, the latest uh, addition to the family, the one-year-old, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, what would you say uh, has has been that experience? How has that been, uh, getting back into the, the swing of things? With, with, with <laughs> <laughs> so my wife and I got married in uh, 2015, right? I, I said earlier, we were an instant family of four. Uh, we went away to Bermuda. Don't ever go to Bermuda, by the way, fellas, unless you want another baby. <laughs> I mean, we came back from our honeymoon pregnant, right? So our, our first son through marriage, who's now the five-year-old, was born right away. Uh, the following year, we were pregnant. We lost that baby. The following year, we were pregnant again. He's here. Um, and then now we have the one-year-old. So I feel like ever since 2015, bro, like, no, ever since 2016 when Eli was born, I feel like we've just been changing diapers every day. You know, you change one diaper, you didn't change the hundred. I mean, but the one-year-old, I, I, I just, I love the fact that I'm home, right? I love the fact that the pandemic happened because it allowed my wife and I to sit back and reevaluate what's really important. Because we were both working in government when we got married. We were hustling, right? I would, um, we would wake up in the morning, right? throw our clothes on, throw some breakfast together, run out the house, drop the boys off to daycare, drop the boys off to school, run in our different directions, come home, dinner, homework, bedtime, right? And the pandemic allowed us to really sit back and, and, and evaluate what's important. And now I love the fact that we don't have to do all of that because everything is virtual, we're all home. So now we get to structure our day the way that we want. We get to wake up and pray together as a family. Right, we get to impart into each other, you know, at lunchtime. We get to eat together at dinner time. And it's no longer the hustle and bustle. But for this one year old, what I've really just realized is that as much as I think that I run the house, I don't. <laughs> the one year old and the three year old have made it crystal clear that I work for them. Uh I mean, they are some bosses already. You know, we have four E's, so our sons are Enoch. Eli, Eden, and Ethan. And we get all of their names mixed up. So I, 
I'm about to just start saying, hey, you, <laughs> you, you, you right there, you big one, you come in, because, I mean, we call everybody every name, you know, you got four E's in the house, that's a lot. But I, I've learned that the one-year-old and three-year-old, uh, I do work for them. So I'm, I'm here to serve them. I'm at your wish is my command if you're one and, and three in this household. Because apparently what I'm doing doesn't matter. You know, the three-year-old just actually popped in not too long ago while I was talking to you. And I kind of had to put myself on mute and tell him not now, you know. But I love it. I love fatherhood. I love the fact that I'm present, right? I know what it's like not to have a dad who's present. I know what it's like not to have a dad who's in the house. And as much as it's noisy around here and chaotic and, you know, just argh, every day we on 10, right? We got four boys, all that testosterone and mine in one house. And then my wife trying to balance it all, right? Poor her, right? But as much, right, as all of that is going on every day, God has reminded me to enjoy the moments because I remember when my 21 year old was one. I remember picking her up. I remember kissing her cute cheeks. And now I'm looking at her like, oh my God, you, you a woman, you a young lady. So what, what this pandemic has caused me to realize is that, Hey, your one, three, five and 10 year old, they're going to be in their 20 soon. Make these days count, make these moments count. But more importantly, God has begun to show me that, it's a work in me that needs to take place. It's a transformation that has to take place in me so that I can model what manhood looks like, what fatherhood looks like, what being a husband looks like. And uh, I'm no longer running from God. I'm no longer running from the things that he's called me to do. I'm now stepping towards those things and I'm embracing those things. And um, quick backdrop, right? For the longest time I've been working in government. I started government in 2003. Never thought that I would leave. But um, I remember around 2013, 2014, when I met my wife and she introduced me to some entrepreneurial type ventures, my mind opened up and it began to expand. And uh, ever since 2014, I had journaled that I wanted to walk away from government to see what life is really like, right? Outside of the quote unquote good government job. Uh, but then you get trapped, you know, when you're making six figures and it's comfortable, right? And it's convenient. And uh, this year, I, I made the decision, you know what, I'm going to go ahead, give Uncle Sam his pink slip. I'm going to show my boys what it's like to actually pursue your dreams, you know. And I, I told him, you know, the title of my latest book is called Your Greatness Unleashed. Um, and on the cover, actually, let me show you. I got one right here. On the cover, as you can see, it's a man, right? It's kind of like the Superman thing. He's, he's ripped his shirt open and that G, right, stands for greatness. I've told my sons, I was like, now I'm to a point in my life where I no longer want to let fear control me. I was afraid to leave the government. But if I'm going to write a book called Your Greatness Unleashed, and if I'm going to be uh, empowering men to step out and to really unleash their greatness, it starts with you. And I can't really be great unless I know what stepping out on faith looks like. And this is the year that I've decided at the age of 40 with a wife and five children that I'm going to step out on faith. I'm going to take this good government job and I'm going to tell them thank you for 18 and a half years. And I'm going to see what God can do in me and through me and around me on faith because I want to pursue my greatness. Now, whether I land on greatness or not, doesn't really matter to me. I want to be an example to my sons and to my daughter 
that if you have something that you want to do, that you go after it, right? I toggled the fence for many years, and I'm not sure if you guys have lived life where, you know, you've been somewhere, you've been doing something, but you know, you know on the inside I should be doing something else, right? But it's hard to pull away from that because of the unknown, right? Somebody told me in, the, uh, in your comfort zone, the only thing that grows, right, is, is being discontent. And I just thought that was powerful. I was in my comfort zone, but I was discontent. I wasn't happy with my job. Yeah, the money was good. Yeah, the stability was good, right? But you know what I realized about employment, and I don't knock employment for anybody. The way that I look at employment now is that this is what somebody is telling me that I'm worth every two weeks, right? Every two weeks, Reginald Gant, this is what I, I deem your worth to be. And at 40, I've, I've made the decision that I want to decide what am I worth every two weeks? So I want to walk out Your Greatness Unleashed this year. I just did it. Friday, January 21st was my last day. So brothers, this was my first week of not having to work for anybody else. And, you know, and it's, it's different, you know, because I'm used to logging in. I'm used to having work to do, the laptop, meetings, the whole nine yards. Now, don't get me wrong. I've been in meetings all day long. But my wife and I, we have our own business. And we've come together and we've joined forces. And now not only am I going to be growing that, I'm going to be growing my serve for men organization. I want to get back to my passion. My passion was motivating them. My passion was pouring into husbands and fathers, right? My passion was starting meetup groups. My passion was making sure that men lead and protect and provide, right? But they're doing it God's way. My passion is making sure that men have the resources that they need to sustain themselves. And, and now I'm ready to, to dig into that and to unleash my greatness in that aspect. So, I'm excited about where God is going to take us this year. I don't know where it's going to end up, but I'm excited about the journey. Dope, man. Congratulations. Thank you, man. So what, what has this, this past uh, week been like for you? It's been, you know what? I'll say it's been peaceful, right? I'm getting the best sleep ever because now I'm, I'm no longer waking up and doing something that I don't like doing. Right. So this week has just been the first week of just peaceful. It's been full of meetings, you know, because now it's, 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 it's go time. Right. When you really because look, I, I mean, I had the, I had the income. I, I had everybody on my health insurance. I knew what was hitting every two weeks. It was enough to pay the mortgage and the bills. Right. That's gone now. So now it's go time. Now, can my wife step up? You know what I mean? And, and obviously cover those expenses. Yeah, sure. But I still pride myself on being a man. I still pride myself on protecting and providing. And I still want to make sure the income is coming in. But this week, it's been peaceful because now I know that, you know, I'm, I'm doing something that I really want to do for me. And I feel optimistic and I feel confident that the ideas that God has given me, the things that he's been speaking into my spirit over these years that I've just kind of been pushing to the back burner. I feel confident that in this season, I can bring some of those things to light. Um, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of things that I want to do for me, right? God has told me clearly that I'm, I'm to use my voice to elevate men, right? I want to speak to the king inside of each man because we already, and us as black men in particular, we already know as soon as we leave the comforts of our home, the world doesn't care too much for us just because we're black and we're black men. So I'm to use my voice to speak to that king inside of that man. Hey, I know what it's like. Challenges come, right? You're frustrated. You're disgruntled. Marriage not going right. Kids acting out. I know what it's like. 
right? But I want to speak to the king inside of that man, like you have an obligation to steward what God has given you. If God has given you a wife and children, you have an obligation to take care of those responsibilities. You have an obligation to pour into them, to make them better, despite life's challenges, right? The Bible says that, you know, God, you know, the unjust and just, they both get it. He's no respecter of persons. So, you know, what I want to share with men is that, you know, even through the difficulties, you know, that's why I'm so big about men's groups and small meetup groups and things of that nature. Even through those challenging moments, it's okay. It's okay to not know what's going on. It's okay not to have a solution in that particular moment, but it's not okay to quit. It's not okay to walk away. It's not okay to drink it out. It's not okay to sex it out. It's not okay to beat up on people because your things are not okay. But I want to be able to speak to men and, and, and pull out the king inside of each man because I feel that every man has a certain level of greatness inside of him. He just needs to know how to nurture it. And he needs an environment in which it's nurtured, just like a plant, right? If I try to plant a, a, a seed in concrete, it'll never grow. But if I put a plant, and if I put that seed in, in some soil and I water it, it can turn into the, the biggest tree in the world. You never know. And that's how I feel about us as men with the right environment. If we plant ourselves in an environment in which we can nourish and grow, right? then we can be all that we're created to be. And, and I'm out to speak to that inside of each and every man. And I appreciate forums like this that allow me to raise my voice to those men that are listening. Yeah, it's powerful, man. Powerful stuff, man. It's yeah. been one of my favorite interviews, man. I can, I can honestly say that, man. Uh, we, we gotta I like y'all right? too, man. Y'all yeah. are my guys. <laughs> I haven't even met y'all yet. Yeah, yeah. We, we got a running thing going. We got a Hall of Fame. And I definitely want to nominate this for the Hall of Fame, Dr. Young. Can, can we put it in the Hall of Fame, man? What you think? Oh, man? yeah, for, for sure. I, but I have I have one last question. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I know you, you <laughs> you're going towards the rap, but I, I have one last question. Before we start recording, you was telling the story about um, how your daughter came into the world. So, can you <laughs> can, can you speak on that? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, this is a part of my testimony. So, when I speak to young guys, right, I talk to young guys all of the time about the importance of protecting yourself, right. Now I'm encouraging guys, you know, if you can abstain first of all until marriage, right. But I know a lot of kids can't do that. But if you can protect yourself, but so as I was sharing with you, Dr. Young, uh, and some small talk, the, the reason why I became <laughs> a teenage father is because, um, you know, I actually was a virgin all the way through high school, you know, um, and I was a, a late bloomer. All of my friends had been had sex by then, you know, everybody was having sex ninth, 10th, 11th and 12th grade. Me, not so much. I wasn't that fortunate. You know, I. Uh, the girls, for whatever reason, you know, they wasn't feeling you, your dark skin brother over here. Um, and then as a freshman in college, I came across a young lady. Um, we, we were working together. I don't even think the business is around any longer, but it, it was called ESPN Zone. And they used to be popping back. It was like an a, adult arcade, right? An, an arcade for adults. And we were working at ESPN Zone and we were getting off late at night, right? Like 11, 12 o'clock in the morning. We were 18 and 19, right? Because the, the arcade upstairs wouldn't close until like 10, 10.30. Then we would have to clean up. I was driving. She wasn't. Um, but I used to drive past where she lived 
in order for me to get home. So when I was talking about that dangerous zip code that I grew up in, and although my area, you know, where I live wasn't all that bad, she was in the thick of it. So when I say the hood hood, she she lived in the middle of the hood hood, right? Sign number one. <laughs> but she was walking home and I just felt uncomfortable because I know the streets of Baltimore. And I did not like the idea of a young lady, and she was beautiful, uh, she was small. I did not like the idea of somebody her age, her size, walking the streets at 11 or 12 o'clock at night because she had no other way to get home. So uh, because I was driving one day, I pulled over and I offered to take her home. She obliged, you know, it was already en route. So it's not like I was going out of my way. Um, and then we just started to talking. And then, um, you know, we continued to talk and I liked her. And I was like, Ma, it's somebody that I want you to meet. And uh, my mom was like, I ain't interested in meeting nobody. Like, what are you talking about? Like, we got plans. Like, you, I was in school. I was enrolled at Morgan State University. I was studying to be an electrical engineer, right? Like, my life was already mapped out. <laughs> and I brought her over one day and I introduced her to my mom. And my mom, you know, after I dropped her off and came back home, my mom was like, I don't like her. She was like, I don't like her. You're going to get her pregnant. I don't like it. Because, mind you, what I didn't share was that my daughter's mother actually already had a child. So she was 18 with a two-year-old already in the hood. Sign number two. Right? Already a mom, already in the hood. Reggie, you in college, you starting to be an electrical engineer. You don't, you don't be in the hood. You're not about that life. Right? right? So as I started to date her and I'm immersed into that environment. I began to change. And then one day I brought her over to the house. My mom fell asleep. And uh, we just started kissing because that's what young people do, right? It, it starts there. And uh, next thing you know, we taking clothes off and there was a commercial on. And, you know, we did the do. And, and I was telling Dr. <laughs> the same commercial was on. <laughs> the same commercial was on. So we, we did it. We did it, you know, and in my mind, I'm like, wow. You know, in her mind, she was like, is that it? Is that all? Right? But we did it. I lost my virginity. Just like that. That you know, 15, 20 seconds. Nine months later, brothers, who has a baby? Yours truly. Wow. And that was my introduction into fatherhood. Was I ready? Absolutely not. Was it expected? Absolutely not. Was it a part of my plan or my mom's plan? Absolutely not. Did that cause problems between my daughter's mother and my mom? Absolutely it did. I mean, it was, it was some interesting times, you know, and I just thank God for his grace uh, that I, I was able to survive those times. My daughter really was the reason that motivated me to want to be successful in life. She grew me up. I struggled and I fumbled and I bumbled at being a dad at 19 and 20 and 21 because it was a learning process. But she gave me motivation that life was no longer just about me. Life was also now about her and being the best that I could be so that I could provide for her in the best possible manner. And I've always used her as my, my driving force, you know, from that day on. But yeah, we started kissing. 15 seconds later, I'm on top of the world. I'm feeling good. Nine months later, I'm a dad. First, look, out of all my friends, last one to have sex, first one to be a dad. I was like, go figure. <laughs>
We had a, a running segment called uh, WTF Moments. And, uh, we that's it. That, that's definitely a WTF that's, moment. That's probably number one. <laughs> Same commercial. Same commercial, <laughs> fellas. Oh, man. That's crazy. So, boom. 15 yeah. seconds and then boom. The whole life. Yeah, but I, I use that, right? And now I can speak to young men, you know, young guys who are fathers, you know. I know what it's like. I know what it's like, you know what I mean? And and I, I thank God for all of my experiences. I don't trade any of them, you know, for, for anything because they're all going to be used to bring light and life to somebody else. And, you know, I'm just thankful to be here. I appreciate this platform. You guys have no idea how excited I was to be able to 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 be here today to speak to on this WTF podcast. Yeah, thank you, man. This, this was awesome, man. This this probably one of my favorites too. It, it was great. I appreciate it. Yeah, and I got one last question for you too, uh, Reginald. And I really already asked it. Uh, you gave a real good answer. I want to read uh, your response. Uh, the question was, uh, what does fatherhood mean to you? And uh, Reginald, you <laughs> said uh, that God has entrusted me to steward other lives beside my own. It is the ultimate uh, form of honor. It means responsibility, love, humility, and community. Can you expound on that a little more? Absolutely. Fatherhood is a gift, you know, and for those of us that get to experience it, we know what it's like. Um, you know, I still have a few friends, you know, they're, um, they struggle in that area, you know, with trying to, trying to have children, right? But has never been my portion. Uh, apparently, I can just make babies, you know, with my eyes closed. So I know that it's a gift, right? And I don't take that gift lightly. But for me, what it does mean, it, it does mean responsibility. It, it means that God cared enough about me to give me another life. And he trusted me enough with what I have inside of me to raise that life and to guide that life and to point that life back towards him. And that's what I feel fatherhood is. Fatherhood is when you sit around the table to me and you impart into each child, right? Even during their knucklehead years, right? And, and we're going through a little bit of that right now with the 10 year old, right? He's testy, he's trying himself. You know, you got to push, you know, the boundaries to see how far you can really go. But fatherhood is sitting down and say, hey, you know what? I, I see past that foolishness. I still see that king inside of you. I still see that person that longs for affirmation. I'm still going to tell you I love you. I'm still going to pull you close and hug you and kiss you even when you're wrong, even when you're mad. Fatherhood to me is that responsibility that we have to make sure that we do the best that we can through example, right? Through our example. Fatherhood is not just words, right? Um, I was reading something the other way, right? You, you can learn through information, but you can also learn through demonstration. So fatherhood is both. I'm going to inform you about what life is like, but I'm going to demonstrate through how I live, through how you see me interact with other people, what you should be doing, how you should be talking, how you treat women, right? How you treat people outside of the home, how you treat those that don't look like you. Fatherhood to me is, is joy, is happiness. You know, it's, I love it. You know, I can't, I can't imagine life without it, you know, because if I didn't have my wife and children, depending upon me and my natural mind, I'll probably be running around acting a fool. And that's not what I was called to do. So for me, fatherhood means stability, you know, and I feel like men, we need stability. I feel like us as men, we need accountability. 
I need somebody to hold me accountable to a higher standard. And what ultimate standard, you know, or higher level of accountability than being a dad and or a husband. And that's what I love about fatherhood, man. It's priceless. You know, you can't put words to it. And I, I'm just thankful that God saw something in me to bless me with five. You know, from, from my only child to five children of my own, you never could have told me at 18 that I would have five children, that I would have four boys in the house right now just causing chaos day in and day out. Um, but I love it. And I can't imagine my life without it. And as you can see over my shoulder right here, right, those are my praying hands. Right? Because it's not a day that goes by that I don't pray. I need my faith to hold me up as a father because I can't do this journey without it. I need my faith to hold me up as a husband. I can't be a husband or a father or a man without praying, right? Without tapping into my creator on a daily basis for that wisdom, for that knowledge, for that understanding, and for that direction. So, Sir Royce, that was an amazing question. Yeah, man, that's even uh, more amazing response, man. So, yeah, this is, uh, like I said, one of my favorites, man. So I definitely do appreciate your time and, and for sharing your story, man. It's definitely a unique story. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, Dr. Young, did you have uh, anything else before we close out? No, nah, no more questions. I, again, I just wanted to say thank you for, for doing this. The pleasure has been all mine, fellas, truly. I love this forum, and I, I speak blessings over this. I pray that it grows exponentially. I don't know what your future is in this, but I feel like this needs to be something that's seen on a national level. Mm -hmm. And uh, if there's anything that I can do to support, I want you brothers to reach out to me. If y'all ever in the Baltimore area, hey, look, you got a point of contact. Let's connect. I'll make sure that I keep y'all safe so that y'all can get back home to y'all families. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. take, it, take us to the, to the grimy parts, man. The real, the real I take it to the real good food man. spots, but we're yeah. we doing all of that during the daytime. Right. So, <laughs> no late night excursions. <laughs> no late night excursions. No, sir. I want to make sure y'all men get back home if y'all ever find yourselves in the area. Yeah. Uh, definitely, man. I appreciate that. And um, if you have to tell people where to reach you, uh, I'll give you the, the, the floor, man. You can kind of uh, talk about what you're doing. Uh, connect people to what you what you got going on absolutely i appreciate that so um if you're on social media at uh at instagram i'm at reggie serves at reggie serves but um primarily i'm on facebook and i'm on linkedin and it's just my name it's reginald gant right there uh last name is gant g-a-n-t is no r a lot of people call me grant you know just by mistake so on linkedin and facebook i'm reginald gant i have a website it's called serve the number four men.com and I also have um, a, a men's group that I create. I have a virtual community, right? I call it the Serve for Men Virtual Community. And uh, as where I've gathered, you know, it's about 40 plus guys in the community right now, and I love it. Um, we, we, we connect in the community daily. I have some information in there that helps us to be better men, better fathers, better husbands. I post questions, right? We have dialogue. I pop up live in the community. We have some real conversations. Um, so for anybody that wanted to reach out to me, just Go to the website, serve the number four men.com. Um, just hit the contact us button. It'll email me directly. But I look forward to being, you know, a blessing in any way possible to any man, father, or husband out there. Because again, I believe in the king inside of each and every one of us. Nice, man. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I'll, I'll have the links to that in the description below. So definitely uh, appreciate it.
Yeah, so uh, without further ado, uh, myself and Sir Ray Brialis for uh, my co-host, Dr. Ryan Young, and also for our special guest. Again, appreciate your time, brother, and everything that you're doing in Baltimore. You're making a real big impact. Uh, so keep doing what you're doing, brother. Uh, Reginald, again, uh, definitely thanks for listening to WTF interviews. And don't hang up, Reginald. We're going to chop it up, have a little post-game. But, Got it. Uh, stay tuned for further announcements. Yes, yes, Sir Royce here, and I want to thank you again for listening to WTF Interviews. Leave a review as it helps more people like yourself receive the message. Also, consider donating to Welcome to Fatherhood. It's a nonprofit that myself and Dr. Raheem Young created to help dads showcase their superpowers to the masses. You can do that by going to WTFatherhood.org. Again, gratitude and be well. You already are.